Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Well, can you say praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. What a joy it is to see you tonight. What a good uh, attendance this is on a Sunday night. I'm grateful to God that you're here. We've been blessed again so much by the music. I'm glad my friend, Brother Glenn Denton, is here. Wonderful pastor at Hillcrest Baptist Church. Brother Glenn was the first one to bring me to Lebanon. And preacher, it's good to see you, brother. I love you with all my heart. I've had a good time today, haven't you? It's just uh, today, what a, you know, June is not a typical revival month. Now, I preach revivals in June, but it's not a typical month. And you have been incredible today with your attendance. We've only got three nights, three more services. And I pray that you'll be faithful and redeem the time. No matter where I'm at in the country, on Sunday night, I always take a minute to do the same thing, all right? So don't time me, I'm not preaching yet, all right? I always take a minute to ask folks to pray for my family. Our ministry is very much a family ministry. For eight years, I was a senior pastor at a couple of churches in Florida, one of those churches for six years, but I've been a traveling evangelist for 29 years. That means my wife, Judy, packs my bags most weeks for me to go on the road. She travels with me some these days, but uh, she sends me away most weeks. My wife is the best Christian in our family, and it's not even close. Uh, she is a woman of God. She is at our home church tonight. I suppose they're finished by now in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, she will be in our office tomorrow there in Jacksonville. We're preparing for our summer student camps, but Judy is, uh, has been the, uh, the best encouragement and believer that I've ever met. Then I have three children. I have two girls and a boy. My oldest daughter lives in Augusta, Georgia. Her name is Rachel. She's married to a student minister. And uh, then he's been there for 10 years. And then my other daughter, Jessica, lives a little closer to us, lives in St. Augustine, Florida. That's about an hour from us. She's married to a high school football coach. And those two girls have blessed us with five grandchildren, four girls and a boy, happen to have their picture right here, and I'll be glad to share it after the service. I, I've got a bunch more on my smartphone. This thing about grandparenthood, I finally figured out what's so grand about being a grandparent. We get to watch the kids do to the parents what the parents did to us. Is that not the best thing? Give, give them a little chocolate and send them home. That's the best thing. But uh, Boy, they, there's something special about grandkids, isn't there? I mean, there really is. And then we have another child. We have a, a boy, Jonathan, who was born actually my second year on the road in traveling evangelism. All he's ever known is daddy traveling. And now he works for us and he travels. And he's with me at least once a month traveling with me and then he preaches on his own. But Jonathan lives there in Jacksonville, Florida. And he's married to a wonderful young lady named Amanda. They've been married three years. They have no children. And uh, they, uh, they are a blessing to us. So it's Jonathan, uh, Jessica, and Rachel, our three children. And my wife's name is Judy. And the best thing you can do is pray for our family. But I'm grateful to God uh, for you being here tonight. Grateful to God for this great revival. I want you to take your Bibles. You can start timing me right now. I don't give a rip, okay? Take your Bibles and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I just want to preach an old-fashioned sermon to the church tonight, to the body. And I'm preaching on this subject, the kind of church that scares the devil. The kind of church that scares the devil. And I believe it's found right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Would you stand for the reading of the Word of God? Everybody standing? 
Paul wrote an admonition to this church, he says, about no other church in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'll read the whole chapter. Verse number 1, and the Bible says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We make mention, or excuse me, we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our grace or our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Now listen to these words. For you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples. What a statement. To all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I'm preaching tonight on this subject, the kind of church that scares the devil. The kind of church that scares the devil. I want to be part of a church like that, don't you? Please be seated. Let's pray together. My Father, I thank you for this wonderful music tonight. God, I thank you most of all for the privilege to praise your holy name. You are worthy. God, right now I pray for that which I need from you. I need your unction, your anointing. God, I pray that you would loose me and let me go. God, we want our enemy to know he's not welcome in this place tonight. So God, I pray that you'd surround this place with your holy angels. God, you would do the preaching. May seed fall on good ground tonight. God, may you receive the glory. Father, we promise to praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. James 2.19 says, for the devils also believe and tremble. I love the story of the man who was going to a masquerade ball one night, a party. He decided to get a costume and he decided to dress up like the devil. Well, he went down and got him a costume that looked like the devil, he thought, bright red with pointed horns and a pitchfork and a pointed tail, and he was going to dress up like the devil. He was walking to the costume party that night to show off his devil costume because only it was only a few uh, blocks down the road. That old boy was walking with that devil costume showing off, and all of a sudden, a thunderstorm blew in. It began to rain, and that guy decided to duck into the first building he could find. Well, that building happened to be a church building, and they happened to be right in the middle of a revival service. All of a sudden, the door opened up, and down the aisle walked the devil. Son, that crowd began to run and scream and get out of that building. I mean, they were running out of that place as fast as they could, except for one woman down on the front row. She couldn't get out, got her long sleeve of her dress, hung on the end of that pew, and she couldn't get away. And suddenly she's face to face with what she thought was the devil. She began to scream bloody murder. Oh, Mr. Devil. Oh, Mr. Devil. I'm so sorry. Mr. Devil, I want you to know that I've been a member of this church 40 years. I'm a choir member. I'm a charter member and a Sunday school teacher. But I want you to know, Mr. Devil, I've been on your side the whole time. So, son, I'm going to tell you, the devil tore that church up, didn't he? 
Can I tell you the voice of experience just in what I know going on in our world? The devil's tearing up a lot of churches in our country. And I want you to know it's not a joke. The devil's in the business of tearing up ministries and trashing preachers. He's in the business of putting churches out of business. Many once vibrant churches in America have closed their doors and gone out of business. And I want y'all to know something. It's time to turn the tables. Friend, I want you to know with all my heart, I believe our mandate is clear. I want you to know the church don't need to be running from the devil. Hell needs to be retreating from the church. Every time the blood-bought, spirit-filled body of Christ gets together, there ought to be shockwaves in hell. Hell ought to have an emergency business meeting and say, that crazy bunch down in Rocky Valley is meeting again. They're going to have church. That bunch is going to praise the name of Jesus. I believe that's what they did at the Thessalonian church. I believe this church was the kind of church that rocked hell. Now, son, can I remind you about this church? Can I remind you where this church was? It wasn't stuck out in the middle of nowhere, son. This church was in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the largest city in northern Greece. It had the main highway to Rome going right through the middle of Main Street, downtown. It was a place of of statesmen and scholars, but a place of sailors and travelers. It was a place of 250,000 people, we're told, on the seacoast. It was a busy, busy port. And Thessalonica, we're also told, was a place of prostitution and a place of gambling and a place of immorality and a place of false worship. And yet the devil couldn't have the whole city because right in the middle of town was a lighthouse. Right in the middle of town was the Thessalonian church. And God said something about this great church. He said about no other church in the New Testament. For instance, look what God says in verse number 7. Look what he said about this Thessalonian congregation. He said, so that you were examples to all that believe. Ladies and gentlemen, that word examples is where we get our English word pattern. It means a model or a type. I'm going to go ahead and say it again. This church was a model New Testament church. This church was the way to have church. He says, when you look at the Thessalonian congregation, that's how a New Testament church ought to operate. And preacher, you know why that's encouraging to me? I'm not being gloomy, but I'm being honest. We're living in a dark day. And I still believe in a dark day, it's possible for there to be a church that'll raise up to shake a county or a region or a city or a state for the Lord God. To be the kind of church that scares the devil. I'm going to say it one more time. Every time Rocky Valley meets on Sunday morning, the devil's in hell ought to have a meeting. Oh no, those lunatics down at Rocky Valley, they're meeting again. They're going to praise the name of you know who. They're going to lift up the name of you know who. They're going to pray in his name. They're going to sing in his name. They're going to take up offerings. They're going to teach people to give and grow and go. And then that crazy preacher, you know him. He believes every word of the word of God. That crazy preacher is going to get up and preach the whole Bible like it's the truth. And then that lunatic bunch is going to give an invitation and invite people to get saved. And worse than that, they're going to take it to the streets. And all week long, they're going to show people how Jesus is. Oh, what we going to do? What we going to do? I want to be part of a church like that, don't you? I want to be part of a church that rocks the portals of hell. I believe this church was like that. And there are five characteristics. Going to get good now. Mark it down. Five characteristics that are found in the kind of church that scares the devil. Number one, I believe the devil's scared of a church where the people are enthusiastic. Don't you tell me to calm down. I'm going to say it again. I believe he's scared of a church where the people are enthusiastic. And he says that clearly in verse one. Paul and Sylvanus and Timotheus. 
unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the two words in God. Now you students of the Bible know what I'm going to say. Those two words in God is where we get our English word enthusiasm. Oh yeah, they are. See the word in is the Greek word ev. And the word God is the Greek word theos. And when you put those two words together, ev, theos, it's where we get our English word enthusiasm. Now, those who think I'm being too emotional, let me sum it up. If anybody on the planet's got the right to be enthusiastic, it's the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says we have theos, that we are in God. Oh, come on, son. Everybody's enthusiastic about everything else. Oh, get real. I was preaching in a southern state uh, sometime last year. I won't tell you which one it was. Okay, it was Mississippi. I was in Mississippi, and I was at a railroad crossing behind this pickup truck. And Brother Glenn, that guy in that truck told me everything he was enthusiastic about. I mean, there was a train coming, so I got to sit there for a little while. First, the ground was throbbing with the particular country music he liked, and he wanted everybody to know it. There were two big old flags billowing out the back of that truck. One was a Confederate flag. And one was a flag of the United States of America. And then because I had plenty of time at that railroad crossing, I started to read his bumper stickers. I mean, that guy had bumper stickers all over that truck, man. Had a bumper sticker with his favorite race car driver's number several times. Had a bumper sticker that said, my red bone coon hound is smarter than your honor student. Had a bumper sticker uh, announcing his national championship football team. Had a bumper sticker said, I love my wife. Then he had a bumper sticker that said, my coon dog rides shotgun. And that was the truth. I looked up in the cab of that truck and right there in the front seat next to him, that was a coon dog. Or either that or that man was married to the ugliest woman I've ever seen in my life. And you know what that old boy was saying? That old boy was telling me everything he was enthusiastic about. You know know what he was saying? He was saying, boys, I want y'all to know that I'm a red-blooded, all-American redneck that loves NASCAR, coon dogs, football, and my wife, not necessarily in that order. That's what that old boy was saying. And everybody's enthusiastic about everything. Well, bless God, if anybody's got the right to be enthusiastic, it is the people that are filled with the Spirit of God, that are bought by the blood of God, that preach the book of God, that sing praises to the living God. We ought to be enthusiastic. And on this first one, I'm going to take just a minute because I believe there's a couple things these people were enthusiastic about. This is good, now don't miss it. Number one, I believe these people enthusiastically labored for the Lord. That's what he says in verse 2 and 3. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. That means we're always talking about you, talking about the Jesus in you. Then he says this, but I love verse 3, Brother Jason. Remembering without ceasing. Now, there's three words he mentions. Your work of faith, circle the word work, and labor of love, circle the word labor, and patience of hope, circle the word patience. In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, three words, work, labor, patience. Folks, you know what that means? That word work is talking about a specific task in the church. That word labor is referring in the Greek to doing it to the best you've got with everything you've got, pouring yourself into it. And the word patience is talking about doing it until the work is done. In other words, he's talking about laboring for the Lord. Everybody listen carefully. I'm not preaching legalism. I'm not preaching a work salvation, but I'm flat going to go ahead and tell you we are missing something in many modern day churches. There is a movement today that says come and sit 
and we'll provide everything you need for about an hour or so. And you don't have to work. You don't have to serve. You don't have to give. Now, folks, I'm not being unkind or ugly. I call some of those churches donut churches. They're light, flaky, and sugar-coated. And there's a hole right in the middle. And y'all know what the hole in the middle is? They're not teaching people that we are saved to serve the Lord. Understand, we are gifted children. First Peter said, we've been given a gift of the Holy Ghost. And we are gifted to serve the Lord. We've seen gifts on display tonight. The gifts that are given to serve the Lord God. And it's true that we are working for the Lord. We're not saved by works. Don't you understand? I do not work for my salvation. But if I'm saved, I've got something to work for. It's not that I've got to go to church. It's that I get to go to church. It's not that I've got to preach tonight. It's that I get to preach tonight. A gifted child, like you're a gifted child to serve the Lord God. And we do it with patience. You know what I believe, preachers? I don't believe they had a problem getting preschool workers at Thessalonica. I don't believe they begged for vacation Bible school workers. I don't believe they beg for teachers. I don't believe they beg for choir members. I don't believe they had to beg folks to give. I believe these folks wanted to serve the Lord because they love the Lord. James 2.18 says we show our faith by our works. Paul writing to the Ephesians said, yes, we're saved by grace. But then he says two verses later, we are God's workmanship created unto Christ Jesus to do good works. And so we work. Well, not finished. This bunch enthusiastically labored for the Lord, but then they enthusiastically loved the Lord. Look at verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Oh, buddy, when you say that word election, in the modern day church, folk get their antenna up because the two hot words, the two hot button words are election and predestination. What in the world are we going to say about election? Well, that word election means selected or chosen. Now, folks, can I clear it up real fast before I go any further? I want you to know that it has been well said that the mystery of God's election and man's decision will never be settled this side of heaven. The Bible teaches both. Our sovereign God in eternity past knows who's going to be saved because I'm glad I've got a God like that. But I don't know who's going to be saved and it's still a whosoever will gospel. That's what the Bible teaches. But understand the theme of the passes about our election. The election is we work because we have been chosen. We're saved by grace and he loved us enough to save us. We love him enough to serve him. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 15, verse 16, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you. Therefore, he said, I've ordained you to go and do good works. Can I tell you the truth? And I'm gonna move on to the next point. I serve Jesus because I love Jesus. He saved me because he loves me. And this church was excited about it. Well, gonna go to number two. These people were enthusiastic. The devil's scared of a church where people are enthusiastic. Number two, gonna get, Brother Philip, I like this one. Going to get real good now. Number two, the devil's scared of a church where the praise is explosive. Oh, it's in here. Praise is explosive. Look at verse five. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Hey, notice that word power. Folks, that's where we get our word for dynamite. Y'all know that, don't you? Well, yeah, that's the Greek word dunamis. Dynamite, or as we said in the 70s, dynamite. Some of y'all just dated yourself. Y'all know that, don't you? I mean, dynamite. Now, Brother Philip, I'm not being emotional, but I, the Bible teaches us that our praise ought to be explosive. I mean, something there ought to be a little fire in the house when we're praising God. 
Our worship services ought to not be little wet firecrackers. They ought to be dynamite, man. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, I know what some people say. Oh, Brother Rick, aren't you afraid it's going to get out of control? Aren't you afraid things going to get carried away? Had a woman this year at a church I preached in walk up to me. Their church was clapping a little bit. And she was upset. And she said, Brother Rick, clapping's not in the Bible, is it? Well, y'all know it is. Clapping's in the Bible. And so I turned to Psalm 47, 1. Uh, 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 shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Before he says that, he says, clap your hands, all you people. Before the shouting, there's the clapping. And then when I read the rest of the verse, shout unto God with a voice of triumph, I thought she was going to pass out, man. It's all right to get a little excited in the house of God. You say, Rick, aren't you afraid some Baptist is going to get carried away? Boys, the only day some Baptist is going to get carried away is when the undertaker comes to get their body and carry them out of the church. That's the only day they're going to get carried away. Philip, most Baptists I know are so afraid they're going to get out on a limb, they don't even get up the tree, man. But I want you to know, this is the day the Lord has made. Our praise ought to be explosive, even when we're in trouble. Because he says that in verse number six. He says, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. These people were being persecuted. They were being persecuted. And they still praise the Lord because the Bible says after that, with joy of the Holy Ghost. And that word joy means unrestrained gladness. That means that even in the midst of trouble, we praise him with unrestrained gladness. Folks, you want to have a Bible study that will bless your heart? You go through your Bible and check that word joy out. It's found over 200 times in your Bible. And you look at all the mentions of joy and how folks have joy. I mean, it'll remind you of some stuff. I'm going to give you just a few examples. First Samuel 18, 6. Don't turn to it. Old David had dropped and decapitated old Goliath, brought his ugly head back in the city. And the Bible said the women poured out in the streets with musical instruments and they danced. Ooh, and they danced. And the Bible said that with joy, the noise could be heard all over the town. They were praising the name of the Lord. Remember in the book of Ezra chapter 3? when they took up a love offering to build a temple. They took up a love offering, preacher. And at the offering, the folks got so worked up about giving, the Bible said they began to praise the Lord. And long about verse 12, the Bible said they shouted for joy and the noise was heard afar off. Remember the book of Nehemiah? Nehemiah chapter 12. Old Nehemiah came in, rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and Ezra the evangelist came to do some preaching. And when Ezra preached, some Bible scholars say 50,000 people showed up on the streets of Jerusalem and they had such a worship service somewhere along about Nehemiah chapter 12 verse 13 the Bible said the noise was heard outside the walls of the city because they had so much joy. You remember when those old stage stuffy wise men came to see the Christ child in Matthew chapter 2? I mean those guys did everything with a head. They were intellectuals there was no emotion in their life they were filled with all the high IQ. They didn't show the heart. But boy, when they saw the Christ child, the Bible said in Matthew 2.10, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Can I translate that? They had a spell. That's what they did. The Bible said they rejoiced with great joy. Remember when Philip the evangelist came to Samaria and the Bible said they were killing people? Saul was breathing out threatenings against the church. The Bible said they'd already killed Stephen and they had a public outdoor meaning. And in that public meaning, 
revival broke loose and the Bible said, Acts chapter 8, somewhere along about verse 8, that they rejoiced with great joy. Ladies and gentlemen, joy is our birthmark. Joy is our birthright. Peter said, we've got joy unspeakable and full of glory. Paul said, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. We're the joy people reading the joy book on our way to the joy place. So get your finger out of your mouth, you pouting little baby. Quit acting like the world's against you, man. Wake up and praise the name of the Lord because the Bible says we got joy. Aren't you glad you're saved? Joy. So when we come to church, we ought to just carry on. I'm going to say it again. We ought to just carry on because it's joy. The devil's scared of the church like that because you do know the devil's allergic to praise, don't you? Well, number one, the devil's scared of a church where the people are enthusiastic. Somebody shout amen. amen. Number two, the devil's scared of a church where the praise is explosive. Now, Brother Glenn, Brother Jason, Brother Glenn, any other preachers here, I need this next one. I don't know if anybody in the house needs the next one, but I do. Number three, the devil's scared of a church, not only where the people are enthusiastic and the praise is explosive, the devil's scared of a church where the preacher is excited. I need to say that again. He's scared of a church where the preacher is excited. Oh, yeah, it's right here, boys. Look at verse eight. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Stop right there. Uh, let, let you think I'm making this up. That word sounded is one of those Greek word pictures. And literally, it means the blast of a trumpet. Not the blowing, but the blast of a trumpet. Literally, it means the rolling of thunder. The Bible said, man, they sounded out the word of the Lord. In other words, when they preached, they had a little bit of oomph to it. When they preached, there was a little bit of passion. When they preached, there was the blasting of a trumpet. Everybody stop. Let me make this real clear. I'm not talking about styles of preaching. There's all kinds of styles of preaching. It's not how a man says it. It's what he says that's important. Son, you can spit. Some people think if a preacher spits and snorts and stomps, he's preaching. You can spit and snort and stomp all day long and not say nothing. I mean, that's all a pig does is snort, but he don't say nothing, man. And I'm not saying preachers, some preachers are pigs, all right? But I'm telling you this, it's not the style of preaching. That's not what I'm talking about. Because everybody's got a different style. Some folks stand still. Some folks uh, speak a little softer than others, but it's not that. Here's what it is. When he's talking about sounding out the word of the Lord, he means you believe what you're preaching. It means it's a clear voice. It means it's the note of a trumpet. It means you don't have to worry about what the preacher sta stands for or where he stands. He means he's got a little passion when he preaches. Now, folks, I know I'm loud. I happen to be loud. I can't help it. And I know I'm fast. I can't help it. I can't. I've, Brother Glenn, I've tried to slow down. Now, Jason, I've tried to stop and, and be a little softer. I can't. See, when I was first starting to preach teenagers, let me give you a testimony. I had a stuttering problem. I really did. There's, there's a testimony. I stuttered when I read my text. I didn't stutter when I preached, when I read my text. I, I mean, preacher, Brother Jason, I, I'd pick short text like uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I preached on tithing before from, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I preached on loving your wife from Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Son, I, I used to pick the shortest text because I would stutter. Imagine a 16-year-old boy now. God called me at 16, and I'm trying to preach, and I'm stuttering, and girls are giggling, and guys are laughing. And preacher, I remember that. You, you'll, nobody will ever take this experience away from me. I remember one night walking in a field behind my daddy's house, who was a preacher, and I'm walking in that field behind his house because I was scheduled to preach the next Sunday at a church in Plant City, Florida. And I was so embarrassed. And I said to God, God, you made a mistake. And I was going to call that preacher and tell that preacher, I don't need to preach. But I went on and I did it. And I would never, preacher, this was a landmark in my life. 1971, bless God, I was there when it happened. And I'm sitting in my car at that church 
And I put my Bible on the dashboard and I said, God, I'm asking you to take this stuttering problem from me. If you've called me to preach, take it from me. Folks, on that morning in the spring of 1971, I got up, opened my mouth, and I read a scripture without stuttering, and I've never stuttered since that day. Now, that's the truth. That's the whole truth and nothing but the truth, man. What I'm trying to tell you is God called me and God equipped me, but maybe that's one reason, Philip, I'm so fast. I know I'm fast. I can't help it. I believe if I tried to slow down now, my tongue would hang my neck or something. I mean, I don't know. I might fall off the track or something. So I'm not talking about how a preacher preaches. I'm going to say it again. I'm talking about what he says with passion. And the reason I'm preaching that is because last year I went through a little, not midlife crisis, I'm beyond midlife. You know, some 55-year-old guy says, well, I'm in a midlife crisis. Really, you're not going to live to be 110, big boy. I'm going to tell you right now. All right, you, 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 you're not in a midlife crisis, all right? I want you to understand that. But I'm telling you, I, I had this crisis, preachers. Um, this might surprise you, but I did. My, my wife, if she were here tonight, she could testify. I had this crisis. It was fall a year ago. And, and I determined I need to change my style of preaching. Because I, I determined that I know my style of preaching is growing increasingly unpopular. I know that. I know folks, many folks would rather hear the, the rustling of a flute than the sound of a trumpet. I know that. And I, and I thought, you know, it's just not cool anymore. And folks, I'm not being unkind. I went through a crisis, man. I really did. And I told my wife about it. I, t- I, tell, you when it, I tell you when it really crystallized the most. I was in a large Southern Baptist church. Had about 2,000 there that Sunday morning. And I was in this little waiting area, and I was waiting to go out. You know, they had a TV ministry, and so everything was, was choreographed to the TV. And I was waiting for somebody to take me out. And I was in a room next to what they call the safety team or the security team, wearing their jackets and all. And they were talking. They didn't know I was in that office, Brother Jason. And they were talking about preaching they did not like. And one of the guys said, well, I don't like that loud preaching where their veins stick out and where they turn red and where they spit and sweat and storm. I thought, oh, no, I hope that guy don't come in the service today, man. Man. I mean, folks, that thing began to, now, I know you're ashamed of me, but that thing began to bother me, y'all. But I'm telling you, I had an experience with the Lord. God set me free because here's what happened. A week or two later, I'm in a hotel room and I'm studying a brand new sermon. And when an evangelist has a brand new sermon, son, that's revival. And I was studying a brand new sermon and I always lay down to memorize or study late at night and kind of go to sleep on it. And I was memorizing that new sermon, preachers. I got so worked up. In a minute, I'm walking around that hotel room. I preached to the mirror, told the TV set it's going to hell. I preached to the bathroom. I preached to the garbage can. I'm preaching everything in that room. And folks, that night, weeping before God, I fell down beside my bed on my knees. And I just determined I'm going to preach with the gifts God's given me, with the way God's called me. And beside all that, I'm not rebuking any other kind of preaching. I still believe there's a place for old-fashioned, lightning flashing, wind blowing, trumpet sounding, throw it down preaching, son. I still believe there's a place for that. In other words, I still believe there's a place for a man to get excited about what he preached. Like the old boy that used to follow D.L. Moody around. You know, he was an atheist. And they finally said, why are you following Mr. Moody around? Go and do his crusades when you don't believe what he's preaching. And the guy said, well, I like to hear him because I don't believe it, but I believe he believes it. Folks, that's the way it was at Thessalonica. They weren't locked up by liberalism. They weren't hindered by humanism. They weren't shackled by secularism. These old boys just sounded forth the word of the Lord. I believe folks want to hear that preaching. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe the devil's scared of a church where the preacher is excited. 
Well, I've got three of them. I've got two more, two more. Number one, scared of a church where the people are enthusiastic. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mr. Enthusiasm. Number two, he's scared of a church where the praise is explosive. Scared of a church where the preacher is excited. Might get quiet now. Number four, he's scared of a church where the priority is evangelism. Let me say that one more time. Where the priority is evangelism. Look what he says in that incredible eighth verse. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word. Look at these words, is spread abroad. So that we need not speak anything. You know what the two words spread abroad means? To escape boundaries. Wow. In other words, they were soul winners. It got out of the church and touched a region and a world. The Bible said the gospel was spread abroad by the preaching of these people. You know why? And the teaching and the witnessing. Because the priority was soul winning. Now, Brother Jason, I know I can stand here tonight and quote statistics. And I know statistics don't move an American audience. I understand that. But when we begin to look at them, it is glum indeed, folks, that in the next 60 minutes, 7,000 people in the world will die. And 6,000 have not attended a church service or read a Bible or heard the name of Jesus. It's glum to know that demographically speaking, if the entire world was put into a village of 100 people, 92 of them would be lost without Jesus Christ. It's amazing that in the Bible Belt in Lebanon, Tennessee, there are people not far from this church that are lost and on the road to hell. Our mission is clear. If I didn't have one verse in the Bible telling me what my mission was, all I need to do is look at the condition of the world around me to know my mission is this, to tell the world about Jesus. That Jesus saves. That's what the Bible teaches. Oh, don't you remember that demoniac, that Gadarene demoniac had all those demons cast out of him, remember? And he came to Jesus after he got saved. Remember what he wanted? He wanted to be Jesus' road manager. He wanted to follow Jesus around. And Jesus said, no, don't do that. Just go home and tell everybody what great things God has done for you. And don't sit there, friend, and say, Brother Rick, I can't be a witness because I've never had a witnessing course. Oh, get real. Someone as well said, true witnessing is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Once I was blind, but now I can see. And the reason we want people to be saved is this. We want them to experience what we've experienced. That's what he said in verse 9. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I'm saved. And I want you to know the Jesus that I know. I've been doing this 29 years. There's about four or five churches I go in annually, just four or five. And I've had preachers say to me, Brother Jason, say, Brother Rick, why do you go to those churches every year? And I'm going to tell you why. I tell them because they had me when nobody else had had me. (laughs) That's why. But I've been going to them a long time. One of those churches is outside of Jacksonville, Florida. It's a wonderful week for me. I get to be home all week. It's 20 miles from my home. I'm there every January. Been in that church now 26 years. Now, folks, I don't expect anything. I serve the Lord. I'm uncomfortable when church, churches want to do anything like this, but they want to have a 25th year recognition service. I've been there with three different pastors. They want to have a 25th year. So they called and said, Brother Rick, we're going to do something for you. And I said, please don't. Please. They said, no, we won't be sure Miss Judy's coming. And she was coming. She'd been there every night. So won't you be sure we want to make a presentation? I said, preacher, don't do that. He said, no, Brother Rick, on honor of 25 years, he said, we're going to have a little fellowship for you in the fellowship hall. And I thought, that's, that's good. That's all they need to do. But that wasn't all they did. You know what that church did? 
And folks, I preach in all size churches and I want to make something clear to you. I'd rather preach to 50 live ones and 500 dead ones any day of the week. I'm going to tell everybody that right now. But that church runs about 250 people. And for this church, that church to do what they did, Pastor Jason, was unreal. Here's what they did. After everything was over that night, they have one big center aisle in that church. And after everything was over, they had my wife and I come and stand and turn our backs to the crowd. Now that's dangerous, man. And the preacher turned our backs to the crowd, and here's what he did. He said, Brother Rick, we know you're getting old. Might have a hard time getting over the fellowship hall. And I laughed. I thought, man, maybe they're going to bring in a walker or something. You know, just be funny. But that's not what they did. All of a sudden, and I know this don't mean nothing to you people in Tennessee, but all of a sudden I heard the Florida Gator fight song going over the, now this is after the invitation, after all the serious stuff. They drove a Florida Gator golf cart down the aisle. I mean, it's awesome, man. They brought that thing down to give to me. Say, what, do you go golfing with it? No. See, in my neighborhood, all the folks ride their grandkids around on their golf carts now, man. I mean, it's cool. And you know, some of you know my pastor, Herb Revis. He's got him a golf cart. He lives in my neighborhood, riding my golf cart around. Folks, I love my golf cart. I put Christmas lights on at Christmas, took my grandkids around the neighborhood, man. I, I ride my two wiener dogs in my golf cart. I love my golf cart. Son, they brought that thing down the aisle. It won't mean nothing to you Tennessee or Vanderbilt people, but they brought that thing down the aisle, son. I mean that blue golf cart with that bright red, uh, red, bright orange gator head, man. And then the seats were orange and blue alligator looking seats, had chrome wheels. Son, they brought that thing down the aisle. Now, folks, I'm a full grown man. But when they brought that thing down the aisle and parked in the front, I about had a fit. I mean, tears are rolling down my face. I'm laughing, and immediately I walked over the bench, got my cell phone, and I'm taking pictures of that thing, man. That's all I did. And I, preacher, I acted like a little kid, son. I mean, over that gift they gave me, they hauled it to my house. All I did for two days was tell people about my golf cart. I called everybody in my family, and, and I called our board of directors. We got about 15 men around the country. Look what this church did for me. Look at this golf cart. They got. Preacher, I just acted like a crazy man. I'm talking, I mean, don't some of y'all look at me like if you didn't have an orange golf cart with a big T, you wouldn't have a fit, man. I mean, uh, I followed three trucks here tonight with a big T on the back of the windshield. So don't you look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Son, I'm telling you, I told everybody I could tell for three or four days and I couldn't wait to tell my preacher. He was out of town on a little vacation. He got back into town and I was flying out of town on Saturday morning. And I called him up on Friday. I said, preacher, I want to show you something. I drove my golf cart down to his house. We high-fived each other. We chest bumped each other, man. I mean, it was so exciting. He said, Brother Rick, now you got your golf cart. You can ride with me. I'm telling you, I acted like a little baby. And preacher, I continue to tell people for the next week that that church would give me a golf cart. And then it suddenly hit me, son. I was excited about a gift that I did nothing to deserve. I was excited about a gift I could not buy. I was excited about a gift that was given to me out of the goodness and graciousness of somebody that loved me. And I couldn't keep my mouth shut about a gift that had rubber tires that were going to burn and fiberglass that was going to rust and fall apart. I could not get over it. Now, you know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Have you not received a gift, the greatest gift you could ever receive? You could not buy it. You did not deserve it. You could not pay for it. But somebody that loved you gave you the greatest gift gift you'll ever receive. How in the world can we keep our mouths shut? How in the world can we not tell somebody Jesus saves? He saves. 
That's the priority. The priority is evangelism. Well, I'm going to go to number five and I'm done. And folks, this is just church 101. I hadn't told you nothing. You don't know now. It's just church night. But let's go over it again. The devil's scared of a church where the people are enthusiastic. Scared of a church where the praise is explosive. Scared of a church where the preacher is excited. Scared of a church where the priority is evangelism. Number five, the devil's scared of a church where the place is expecting Jesus. Let me say it one more time. The place is expecting Jesus. Because if you're expecting Jesus to come tonight, you're going to be urgent. They says that in verse number 10, and I'm done. And to wait, that's where we get our word for await, comes from the Greek word that means to expect. Let me read it like that. And to expect his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I very seldom go a service without quoting Dr. Rogers. Adrian Rogers said it like this one day. We ought to live as if Jesus died this morning, rose this afternoon, and is coming back tonight. If we live like that, we're urgent. That means that lost soul down the street is important to talk to today. That means that visit is important to make today. That means that thing you were going to do for your wife is important to do it today. That means that job we're taking in the church, it's important to do it now. The devil doesn't want us to be urgent. He wants us to go to sleep. He don't want us to be expecting the soon coming of the Lord. And folks, he could come before I finish this sermon. I mean to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That word raised means to arise. Y'all know how I know I'm going to fly away? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in me. And when the trumpet of God sounds, I'm lifting off. And it could happen today. When I was a boy, I loved Saturday morning cartoons. Now when I talk like this, these children and students in the building, I mean I'm stepping back in the dark ages now. You guys can't identify with the day we had three television channels and two of them were fuzzy. You can't identify with the day we had something called rabbit ears and it had nothing to do with an animal. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It was in metal things and folks that were really, really inventive would put aluminum foil flags on them. Y'all remember that? Or have your wife stand there and gyrate while you're trying to watch the NFL game on Sunday afternoon because that's what we did. We had three channels. Buddy, boys and girls, you can't identify with this. Saturday morning was cartoon day. And buddy, from like seven in the morning until noon, that's all we did. Because we didn't get it any other time. Had the Mickey Mouse Club in the afternoons after school, but that's all. Didn't have cartoons. And mama used to drag us out of bed school days. But uh, buddy, at seven o'clock on Saturday morning, we're up at the crack of dawn, son. But I'm going to tell you what, there's a point to this. I loved cartoons. But my favorite show on Saturday morning, Brother Jason, was Tarzan. Those old black and white cereals that lasted for 30 minutes with Johnny Weissmiller. You remember him? Mr. Olympic swimmer. I'm telling you, I love Tarzan. Now you got to think like a seven or eight year old boy. My favorite part of Tarzan was the Tarzan yell. And I can, I can do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm too late in the sermon. I might blow a tire. But I mean, I could do the Tarzan yell. Son, I'm telling you, because preachers, I'd get so worked up when he'd do that Tarzan yell. Because y'all know when he'd do the yell, don't you? He'd do the yell when evil was winning, when it looked like they were being overcome, and the king of the jungle would go to the top of the trees. <laughs> I want to do it so bad. He, <clears throat> All right, he'd cup it. No, I'm not going to do it. He'd cup his hands to his mouth and do the Tarzan yell, and a miracle would take place. I mean, the rhinos would race out of the river. 
And the giraffes would raise their head and start running. The elephants would raise their trunks. The gorillas would swing through the trees. The monkeys would run through the jungle. The lions and tigers would sprint across the plain. The gazelles would be running right next to them because there was no predators. I mean, all of them were there, buddy, and they'd come to the beck and call of the king of the jungle. Now, folks, that might seem like a pitiful illustration, but y'all know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say sometimes it looks like evil is winning, but I got news for you, son. I'm waiting not for a yell, but for a shout. And it's not going to come from the top of the trees. It's going to come from the top of the clouds. And it's not going to come from the king of the jungle. It's going to come from the king of kings. And one day he's going to shout and I'm going to drop this khaki carcass and put on a brand new resurrected body and blast off to meet him in the air. And I'm going to tell you, today might be the day. Today might be the day. You know what that means? There ought to be an urgency to what we're doing. Would you bow your heads with me all over the building? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. All over the house. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed all over the building. I've already said I haven't told you nothing that you don't already know about the church. It's just a reminder of who we are. I've only been preaching this message for a little while, but every time I preach it, Brother Jason, I give the same invitation. And I want to give it tonight to the church. Before I give an invitation to the church, my Savior is giving an invitation to the lost. Somebody here may be lost. God has led me to preach all day to the believer, to the body. I'll be preaching to the lost, especially on Tuesday and Wednesday night. But there may be somebody here, if you died tonight or the rapture came right now, if there was a shout from the top of the clouds right now, you know that you wouldn't go home to be with the Lord. I'm going to invite you to step out right now and come to Pastor Jason. Say, I need Jesus. I need to be saved. Maybe you're here tonight and you know that you need our Christ. I can't walk down the aisle for you. I can't make you come, but I'm going to invite you to come to our Jesus He's still in the saving business. Let me put it to you like this. Are you ready for the rapture? Are you ready for the rapture? And I'm going to invite you to step out and come. Well, Jason, here's the invitation to the church. And every time I preach this, I give the same invitation. We're going to take time to pray for one another tonight. Jeremy, I'm not inviting you to come to the altar to pray, though you're certainly welcome to do that. I'm inviting you to pray for one another. In a moment... I want some worker here to go get another worker, bring them to this altar, put your hands on them and pray for them. I'm going to invite one choir member to go get another choir member. I'm going to invite one deacon to go get another deacon. I'm going to invite somebody who passes out bulletins to go get somebody else that passes out bulletins. I'm going to invite, what a great night for some pupil to bring their teacher to the altar and pray for them. Those who work in the church, if you're not working in the church, I'm going to invite you to come lay your gift on the altar fresh and anew. But I'm going to invite, church, you know what we're doing? We're praying for one another tonight. We're encouraging one another. So I'm going to invite you to pray for somebody's ministry. What a great thrill to pray for somebody's ministry tonight at the altar of a church. I'm going to invite you to pray for another worker in this church. There's a name on your heart. I didn't put it there. God did. I want you to obey the Lord. Second, I'm praying for somebody that may have lost their joy. Your praise has disappeared because your joy has disappeared. And tonight you want to come and take pastor by the hand or get on your knees at this altar. Say, preacher, I'm coming back to the place as I preached this morning. Pastor, my joy's gone. Then third of all, I'm inviting somebody to pray for the lost. 
There's a lost person you're planning to bring this week. I'm going to invite you to come and lay that name on the altar. Get on your knees and pray for them. I'm going to invite you to do that. That's the invitation, ladies and gentlemen, because our Savior is coming soon. We're praying for one another. Please don't say, Brother Rick, what what is everybody going to think? Who cares? We're talking about honoring the Lord. That means you've got to leave the back seat of your pew to come to the front seat and go get another believer and pray for them. If their name's on your heart, I'm going to ask you to do it in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask somebody who's lost their joy to come. I'm going to ask somebody who's praying for the lost to come. That's the invitation. Church, I hope you'll take advantage of praying for one another tonight. God, thank you for this church. God, we've already enjoyed the fellowship of hugging necks and shaking hands. God, now we're going to enjoy the fellowship of praying for one another. As choir members and deacons and teachers and pupils and those who work in the church, those who teach our preschool and our children, gather together to pray at this altar. My God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would move in hearts. God, I pray we would encourage one another. Every church ought to have a service like this once in a while just to encourage one another to be the church. God, right now, would you move among those who may be lost without our Christ, those who need to get saved. God, I'm going to ask you right now in Jesus' name to move in this place and I'll praise you because I love you. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.